Herald of Steel beckons. War on the horizon. Chaos reigns supreme. But who will save us? Beckons of the Herald of Steel is a 5th edition homebrew campaign. It is a high fantasy and old school flavored campaign run by me, the young Rognard, and my friends. Let's meet those friends now. I am Anthony Santiago, and I'm playing Norhill Hammerstone, Dwarven Fighter. I'm Jared, and I'll be playing Jarzak, the Orc Warlock. I'm Ryan, and I'm going to be playing Klika, the Goblin Sorcerer. I'm Veronica. I'll be playing Anton, the Human Cleric. While many prophecies are written, our story has yet to be completed. Follow us into adventure. Well, go back to the podcast. It is I, Grognar the Young, the Young Grognar, kicking live with another episode of the Beckons of the Herald of Steel campaign with the adventure, the Herald, and the quest, the present. Uh, in the last few episodes, our party have made their way south for a lovely vacation to go retrieve their good friend, uh, the King of Azkabellum. Uh, unfortunately... Along the way, we've had quite a lot of hiccups, but we've made some good friends along the way, including, in the last couple of episodes, uh, the lord of the castle, uh, Riverwind, Tagora. Tagora having really fallen in love with the party after the uh, apocalyptic justice that they delivered to those gnolls, uh, giving a good word for his brother, the warlord of the uh, settlement known as Shockley. It would seem that our party uh, were doing well traveling farther south beyond Riverwind on their way to uh, Calqui, as the uh, party are traveling down south through the desertly lands there, our party run into a gang of bandits who were uh, very swiftly taken care of, causing Anton to question his faith, causing Jarzak to have a very interesting doling out of justice with our good friend Ashma, and leaving our party now a couple towns over after a stroke of Domro's luck. <laughs> the party realized that Something strange is amidst. I guess nobody really has the ability to say that this has anything to do with Domero's luck, though, which is probably the most painful part of all of this. So you guys just roll up, go to the inn looking to get a nice play, a nice bit of rest in the Gray Marsh, the uh, swampy Southland here, uh, just before reaching the deserts to the far south. Uh, this bit of swampy land here, Gray Marsh, uh, you guys don't know too much about it, but after wandering up to the uh, the door of the uh, local establishment here, the party are greeted at the door by a very, very, I don't want to say this, uh, passionate mayor who screams that Jarzak uh, apparently has murdered plenty and will murder more and is to be sentenced to death. Uh, unfortunately for her, it would seem that many of the people of the town and many of the people of the inn do not seem to believe she's of sound state in mind, uh, and so immediately try wrestling her into a, sort of a um, sedated position. But the party stand very awkwardly here at the door at the entrance to this tavern in this swampy, uh, hokey-pokey little town here of Greymarsh. It would seem that the party are very confused as well as many of the townsfolk. So, as Elaine Fenfellow, a woman that you guys had uh, heard of before, uh, seems to be kicking and bucking and screaming, spitting at Jarzak, um, everybody looks very confused and looks to you guys for some sort of explanation as to how you know her and what you have done. Whoa, whoa, whoa. I've, I've never even met you before. What? Dude. How do you know me? And she says, I've seen you in my dreams, you demon. You, you have murdered many and you will murder more. This man should be stopped. I'll pay a thousand gold pieces for his head. Nay, ten thousand gold pieces for his head. People begin to look around at themselves very confused. And hearing this much money up for grabs for such a thing seems to perplex them doubly so. Either Jarzak is truly this heinous, or she truly is that out of touch. So so you believe everything you've seen in dreams? That and doesn't make that... much sense. I've had some weird dreams, lady. 
<laughs> Way to go, Jarzak. That's some pretty good logic right there. Why don't you roll me a persuasion check real quick? Let's see if you can snap her out of her insanity by saying, I also have weird dreams. A uh, 29. Everybody in attendance just looks around and looks very puzzled by the wisdom of this traveling gray orc man. Um, as he uh, <laughs> touts out this very, very impressive and moving line, they all begin to nod and shrug and sort of agree that sometimes, I guess, dreams do be weird like that. And so with that, they all just sort of look at Elaine, very puzzled, and one of them says, listen, I think the stress of your job is really getting to you. Perhaps you should go home, get some rest, and just just please relax. And with that, the two gentlemen who had her held up before, as she's still sort of grinding her teeth and snarling at Jarzak, uh, drag her back to what appears to be her estate off in the distance uh, in the cover of night. Standing at the entryway here, a couple of the people who were guarding the door look to you guys again with puzzled looks, but uh, one of them again asks of Jarzak, have you really never been here before? Uh, <laughs> this is my first time being this far south. And then they look around the group, and one of them points to Ashma and says, Hey, wait a minute. We've seen you before. And you're saying none of you have been here. And Ashma sort of says, I have been here before, but that's not of anybody's concern. Yeah, we, we kind of needed a, a guide because we don't know this area. You know, that they all just kind of look a bit perplexed again. And it becomes very apparent as you're looking around the room at the people standing here, just sort of, again, boggle-eyed looking at you, that a few things seem to stand out. One, none of them look to be well-rested. Many of them look to be very worn out, um, and many of them look to be very hungry. Uh, you can tell that, like, the desperation in their faces um, is is very apparent, you know? But... With that, as you say so, they sort of gesture for you guys to come in. And they say, well, I suppose the best we could do is offer you some hospitality at this time. Surely you have coin. Uh, yeah, I mean, if, if you got rooms, we got coin. <laughs> Everybody begins to smile at this. And you can tell that as you guys are welcomed into the chamber, this sort of uh, cabin of sorts, this very, very large cabin, fixated with a few different additions that seem to have been added onto this massive tavern over the years. It is, uh, it smells of wood smoke, and it seems like the boards creak under your footsteps. But the whole room is, again, just rather quiet as you're heading in. But as the party make it about halfway across the threshold towards the bar, the music begins playing again, and people... Uh, once looking at you as alien invaders, now begin to turn back to what it is that we're doing. And one of the men who had uh, welcomed you at the door uh, points you over to the bar and say, go ahead, get yourself some food. Looks like you might need some yourselves. I, yeah, I mean, every, everyone needs food. You got anything and to drink with the food? Well, that they chuckle amongst themselves and they say, of course, if you can stomach it. And they all start kind of like <laughs> giggling amongst themselves. Give me the worst you got. It's no problem. Just muddy water in a glass. Oh, Jarzak would <laughs> love it. <laughs> Delicious. <laughs> yeah, actually considering that. <laughs> but okay. But as the uh, party walk over to the bar uh, and exchange some information, the innkeeper says that you guys would be able to get rooms for the night for five gold pieces total which seems very steep and offers you all food and drinks for a gold piece each as well. So not going to be, uh, not going to be cheap. Uh, Norville will knock off six for the rooms and his, and his dinner. Ashma slides a gold piece across the counter as well. So does Anton. Great. And so at this point, the uh, drinks are poured for you guys, which, again, are some room temp ales, but they're not bad. They're very much so like brown ales, like very farmy, very like very rich and very musty tasting. But you can tell by the way everybody else seems to be drinking these that this seems to be a pretty standard fare around here. What you're not entirely used to and what the innkeeper themselves present to you in a way that looks very either eat it or leave kind of way are a group of frog legs hoisted on skewers that seem to have been roasted. 
Among these frog legs are a few herbs and roots on a small dish, and it seems like they've been either fermented or pickled or something, but it smells very, very pungent, and it seems like a few people in the room seeing you guys sit down with a big old plate of frog legs. They look very curious as to how you're all going to handle this meal. Uh, Can't be rude. Yeah, Jarzak slurps one down. I'm assuming that's what happens with this pickled frog leg. It's more of a slurp than an eat, you know? <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah. <laughs> um, a few people look at you guys and give you kind of like confused looks. And one guy walks over and he says, no, no, no. Listen, if you're going to do it, you're going to do it right. And he points to the skin on the frog leg and he says, you peel it back. And he grabs a handful of the little like the little herbs and spices and stuff and he kind of flicks it underneath the skin, pulls the skin back over to tuck it in, and he says, now nah, you slurp it. You got in good form, though. That looks over oh. at Jarzak. That's a, that's a good technique. <laughs> so, I will say, this tastes like a buffalo chicken wing if it was murky and made with only pickle juice. Oh, it is yeah. very, very <laughs> pungent. But it doesn't taste like, you know what I mean? Like, it's not foul. It's just very intense in a way that, like, people who have eaten this for a hundred years got to this conclusion of a recipe. This was nobody's first choice. You know what I mean? Like, this was hundreds of years of struggle meals out here in the swamp lands that somebody was able to generate this, this concoction. But for what it's worth, it's not that bad. And so I suppose... Uh, unless anybody wanted to role play out eating these things, it doesn't yeah, seem like anybody's going to dive right in. Uh, according to the method as it was shown, it can't be that different from dwarven cuisine. It's a little bit more froggly, but one of the uh, gentlemen who was standing at the bar and giving some pointers on how to eat frog legs leans in now and he says, "So uh, you came from the Northlands, eh? Right, up past the mountains." that a few people seem to gasp for a moment at this and one of them chimes in from the other side and he says really you came from the dwarf lands i come from the dwarf land um though i've adventured all around northern amaroth yeah they all just I'm, seem... I'm a bit further north than that and with that they all just seem very confused and very impressed by this and they say is it true what they say the iron tower that blots out the sun is it real? It's real. Yeah, unfortunately. Yep. Indeed. And then a few people seem to shiver at the thought of it, and they say, so it's true then. The one... Yeah. The, the Herald of Steel, I think they've called it. We heard tales of people being skinned alive and having their bones replaced with metal. And we heard of people being... Well, never mind. I'll, I'll let you all finish your food. I, I don't mean to spoil your, your appetites with such things. Uh, though I assume like, may, maybe you've seen these things. I, ha, is it true? It is. Well, yes. I, some of what you said is, yeah. Um, a lot of other stuff, too. Big iron eagles and big iron dogs. Big iron, everything. All, all, one of them, a lot very, of, lot of metal. One of them very innocently looks forward and says, "Are all the dogs in the north giant?" Click Only of some of them. <laughs> um, Click <laughs> looks out at Shalt. Uh, Norhill is going to gesture to uh, the banded dent uh, in the armor of the hall. Uh, and say, this came from when I put my own body against the power of the Herald of Steel and survived. And with that, these people not knowing much about smithing just look at the armor and sort of nod, impressed nonetheless by the fine craftsmanship, but I don't think they fully understand how impressive that really is. But one of them calls out and says, what about the earthquakes? We haven't had earthquakes, but now we do. Is that him as well? Um... We don't know anything about earthquakes. Well, there was the reverberations from the tower, and a lot of people having scary migraine headaches, but 
But that wasn't like seems likely shaking I, the earth, was it? Yeah, it was. Kinda. Right. I couldn't say for certain whether or not that's the case, but I would be surprised if they weren't connected. And with that, a few people seem to nod. And again, sort of with boundless questions, they seem to be willing to ask you questions well until the end of your meal and seemingly well into the point of going to bed. But yeah, so I guess my question is, how much would you guys be willing to humor the locals with answering their questions as they seem to progressively get more specific and more strange? Clica has nothing better to do. Clica's also very good at explaining stories, so <laughs> this is fine. Yeah, uh, Norfolk will just increasingly let Clica uh, take over until he can just go to bed. Okay. So after after a while here, um, it seems that the uh, locals run out of things to ask you guys about after hearing enough stories about Hot Pickle Tuesday and what it is that Fell Thistle was willing to offer you guys as candy, etc. Um, eventually, uh, the townsfolk start to head off in their own ways to going to bed, and the party um, have an opportunity now to go to their own rooms. Uh, was there anything you guys wanted to do before going to bed? I mean, Klinga would like to at some point, just be like, Darzak, are you sure you don't know that lady? Because she was like, she didn't like you at all. Uh, you know, Klinka, other other than like you guys and a few select people, uh, how many people do you know that really like Jarzak? Mm, it doesn't even seem like most of the orcs <laughs> like you, Jarzak. Yeah, hey, Klinka. But like, he normally... Normally, they don't hate you that much before ever meeting you. Just uh, you, you. I mean, you weren't there in my early days in Glory Wake. Not a lot of people friendly towards the orcs. Guess so. Well, actually, they were they were, they were pretty nice. So, as the uh, party wind down on their way to go to bed, the innkeeper. Uh, comes out from cleaning the bar and approaches the party before they leave here. And he seems to look rather, I don't know, says timid or embarrassed almost to ask this question. But he says, as he's cleaning a mug, I don't mean to ask a favor of you all, but I think that a lot of the locals were a bit distracted by, well, meeting all of you and Nobody took the time to really mention how much of a dire straits we're in right now, and having you all come by here and offer your coin was very kind of you. Uh, but with the Knolls raiding in the north, trade has been very difficult to come by, and we haven't had many travelers come through here, and our business has been suffering. But more so than that, a lot of people have turned to alternative methods to making money and out here in the wetlands that usually involves going off into the swamps i i suppose i'll cut to the chase here and say that we have a lot of very sick people in town uh people have turned to the old way of making money in this in this area and that's with sunken preserved wood uh one might think that's not really a dangerous activity but I, I'm afraid to say that quite a few people have gotten sick from spending too much time out there in the in the bog. I don't know if any of you are healers or have any sorts of remedies to spare, but I suppose we're this desperate that I'm asking you all. <laughs> um, but we're assuming that the roads won't be safe to travel anytime soon. And I don't suppose we're going to be able to go up to Split Rock and get curatives. So, well, I don't know. I suppose it was a silly question to ask, judging by the looks on your faces. <laughs> well, perhaps the roads will soon be safer than you might realize. On our way south, our party decimated one of the Knoll warbands. So now Fort Riverwind should be more equipped to deal with whichever ones are left. And we also ousted a team of bandits that were haunting the road a little further north of here. On that, he 
sort of gives a curious nod and he says, uh, a, a Noel Warband. Uh, you do understand they usually travel in groups of up to a hundred. I think this one was smaller. It was probably like 50 or so, right? I, to be honest, the numbers are actually probably closer to what he's saying. Pico wasn't really counting, you know? She was kind of far back. The screams and the fire were rather <laughs> distracting. It was a very rough 30 seconds. <laughs> but um, if you're looking for someone to help with the sick, um, well, Anton, is that something you think you could help with? Anton was going to pull out the healing stick um, from his... You can see that the old man's eyes light up at the presentation of such a strange artifact in the first place, and he looks it over and then looks at you, and uh, is the lantern present? Um. Well, he can't really hide it. It, it, it. I feel like it's big enough. I feel like it just kind of sits on his hip. He's just, it's just sitting there kind of like anything sits on your hip. He's actively ignoring it. Yeah, he's actively, he's passive-aggressively <laughs> ignoring yeah, it. Yeah, like a, like a teenage girl. Just So with that, he just looks at the staff and he says, I had no idea you guys had possessed such gifts. And with that, he just kind of chuckles a little bit nervously and he says, I, uh, and then he goes back to being kind of stern. He says, I want it known, I, I, I don't really have the means to pay anybody back, and again, with the raids of the Knolls, not many of us have the money to pay anybody back, especially those who are sick. And when travel out to the bog, they only doing so out of desperation. So I hope none of you are anticipating any sort of money from us. None whatsoever. Lead the way. Hey, wait, I have a quick question. Did I... Did you charge us more than normal for our food and stay? And with that, he gives you a very pathetic look for a moment. He says, I charged you what we need to stay afloat. Because times are tough. So yes, you did. Okay. It No, I get it. It's been hard down here, hasn't it? Sorry for that. <laughs> He looks very punished by this, and he looks very ashamed. And he's like, "You know what? Just let him die. I, I figure we're we'll, we'll be even. Like, just you don't have to go talk to the sick." But with that, again, he gives a a sort of pained expression, and he says, "I I apologize, but I just sort of assumed you all had the wealth to to handle such things, so I I didn't think much of it. But either way." I deeply appreciate it. Um, we've set up something of an infirmary for the sick, but it's more of an isolation tent. And he says, if you'd like to, you can come with me, but I'm afraid it's gotten rather dark. So, oh, you happen to have a lantern on your side. <laughs> Looks like you're weirdly ignoring it, though. I can't really understand what that means, but... <laughs> but it that... just looks at it, and he kind of just... Inwardly sighs and he says, Hopefully, it guides us the right way. And he kind of begrudgingly is just like, Let's go. He looks very perplexed by this statement, but he just sort of shrugs it off as probably weird northerner talk. But he leads you over to a, a tent with some very thick, sort of a what's the word I'm looking for? Uh, ragged uh, tent flaps. It's a sort of a military style tent, a very large one, very similar to the one that you saw in Enton where you saw your old lady friend meet a very interesting assassiny death. Um, as you enter the tent, you can tell that a few people in here seem to be wearing cloth wraps around their faces and they themselves seem to be uh, just using cool like wet rags and just sort of basing them on people's heads and trying to cool them down. But judging by the look in the room and the way that everybody's feeling, it seems like they must be suffering from some pretty brutal fevers. Can I do a um, medicine check to get an idea if it's like all the same thing or if it's different ailments? Like, if there's a legit, like, virus going around. Uh, 
16. Sixteen. Mm-hmm. Yeah, it definitely seems like they've contracted some sort of a, a disease out there in the water, uh, out there in the bog. Uh, judging by how warm it is down here and how wet they must have been for so long, especially getting deep out there into the uh, the deeper trenches of it, they might have gotten this from some sort of an insect bite or something like that, or having gotten some of the water in a wound or something like that. But it seems very clear to see that, judging by their... Um, the uh, symptoms of their like achy limbs and the fever that they're dealing with, as well as sort of like the muscle atrophy. It does seem like this will be fatal if not treated. Um, it definitely seems like they'll probably continue to deteriorate over the period of like a month. Uh, but if they don't naturally get better, um, they will most likely die. So with about eight of them in total that are sick in here, it does seem like, I don't know, Things are pretty dire, and those that are taking care of them seem to be more soothing them than treating them, if that makes sense. Got it. And it'll start with the staff right away. Do you have a spell for this? I'm trying to think of... I think I could either do cure wounds or mass cure wounds. Uh... I don't believe cure wounds will cure a disease, though. I have lesser restoration. That feels like that's more likely to cure a disease. Yeah, let's try it. Let's try lesser restoration. Yeah. Mm-hmm. How many castings of lesser restoration will you have available? One. Oh. Well, because I I think it... I don't think I'm charging the stick right, to be perfectly honest. Uh, the staff has 10 charges and it regains 1d6 plus 4 charges every day. Oh. Yeah, so you'd be, I'd be hard-pressed to believe you've ever not had it fully charged. And, uh, I'm assuming Restoration it's costs 2 charges. So you have 5 castings of lesser restoration unless Doesn't get a you've chance got to... the spell prepared as well. Also, the staff might disappear if you lo- if you use all the charges, so that's also something to bear in mind. Mm. Probably that's not a great idea. Yeah, that's what I was going to say. You, you might want to do four. <laughs> yeah, do four, and then also, if we spend the night here, you can prepare lesser restoration yourself as well tomorrow, and then you'll have whatever you get back in charges and the actual spell. Yeah, I was trying to see if I had greater restoration. Yeah, I don't Should. think that would do anything different. I don't think there's like a mass restoration spell. No, yeah. Re- uh, greater restoration would also cost money to cast. True. So, yeah, with that, I'll, I'll you use could the staff at least, before and then... Yeah. Okay. So what do you think it looks like when you're healing people with the staff? The staff was, again, described as being sort of that... Uh, Pretty simple staff, if I remember correctly, uh, with the white wood on it. Um, I think he just says a few words to himself and then taps it to like their forehead. Oh. And then once the staff is done, he then puts the staff back at his side and does the same with his hands. Okay. Wait, does that mean you're casting lesser restoration, or does that mean that... Well, I'm going to have to, because I'm going to run out of charges. I oh, I didn't even know you had lesser restoration available. So you're going to cast all eight of them? Dang, man. Holy cow, that's actually rather impressive. So, using what the gift mean? given by Lord Amthar, uh, Anton is able to spend, like, a couple hours here in the tent just performing some minor miracles out here in frog country. Um... It seems like most of the people being healed, at least the first one, um, once you make it around to the eighth person. Wait, how many people are sick? Because I could do, um, unless I could spend another spell slot, because I only have lesser restoration. I technically have three slots on second level. Yeah, if you can, yeah, yeah, you, you can, can spend a higher level casting. I'll do a higher level casting. Okay, yeah. just make sure I so, keep in it. Oh. So, again, by the point you get around to the eighth person here and casting your heavenly miracles upon them, um, the first person that was cast upon, already those in attendance who are keeping track of them and taking care of them, say that it seems like the fever's broke, and um, he seems to already be cooling down rather a bit. 
Um, his delirium after these two hours of sitting here seems to have uh, faded a little bit, but he seems very weak and very achy. But as he calls out to you, he says, You there! What is your name? My name is Anton, but you should rest. I'm curing you of your fever, but it won't restore your body immediately. You'll have to do that on your own. On that, he sort of chuckles a little bit to himself, um, but lazily holds up a hand and aims it towards you as if to have you hold his hand. I'll hold his hand. And he says, I was really scared back there, but you... I think you've helped us all. I I feel so weak, but I feel that I've been saved. Tell me, Anton, why have you come here? Not necessarily to heal the sick, but it is one of the duties I try to keep. One of the things I've maybe forgotten. He seems rather perplexed by this statement, and he says, Well, you sure haven't lost your edge. And he starts to chuckle a bit before wheezing and coughing a bit. And I guess Anton will ask, Why? I, I understand it's dire, but it seems like everyone is facing something similar from the bog. What drives you to the bog? He says... The oldest profession we've had out here, and the only reason why anybody knows of Grey Marsh is exotic woods sunken out there. Strange herbs, too. Only a few of us know how to spot them, and the younger ones have relied on just hunting to make their money, but the only way we can assure ourselves of any wealth is this sort of work. The wood used for bows and altars and what not in, in the Southlands, it fetches good money. And in a time like this, with the knolls on the horizon and so much war, well, I'd do anything to protect my people and my family, give them money they can rely on. I'm sure you understand. I understand. I just... There must be something that could be done to make it safer to go into the bog. I don't want to tell you to never do that. That would be, I think, foolish. But I believe there should be some precautions. This could come from anything, an insect, something drunk in the water. I don't know if I could study it, but I think if there were safer precautions for going there, you'd have less of a risk. He says, well, many of us had to travel much farther and deeper out into the bogs to find what is left to be found and sold. So, unfortunately, maybe this is a sign that we've run out of these resources in safer places. But if the roads were safe to travel, we would have hired holy men from Calqui. The dome, there are many, many healers there, and perhaps we could have paid some money, but times are are dangerous and strange, and we find it difficult to travel that road. But in any case, you have my sincerest thanks. Anton just gives him a nod. But he he's curious about that road. Is that the road they're supposed to be eventually heading down? That's the road you guys have been going on. Sort of the the uh, what everybody's been alluding to up to this point is that they're also one of the blips on this trade road that runs all the way up to the Dwarvish lands that you guys came from, all the way down to Calqui, and with the knolls in the northern half uh, running amok, it's been just so dangerous for anybody to travel one way or the other that a lot of trade hasn't managed to go this far up towards Shockley, where Grey Marsh is pretty close to. So nobody's really had a reason to come through here. So people have been besieged, people haven't had much money through trade, and people haven't been getting, uh, getting the meaningful resources and trade goods from the Southlands or from the far north. So it's just been like, I don't know, they've just been isolated. So they've had to basically turn to other methods for making money. But as you guys have put so very eloquently to the people in the tavern, your little escapade there with the gnolls may have sort of upset that uh, imbalance. Um, and might be a, a bit of a change in the way things are going around here. Meaning that in time, 
they'll probably be able to travel safely and not have to resort to these me uh, these measures. Which, if you'd like to, we can just say that Anton explains this to this poor feverish old man. Sure. Did you want to include the part where Anton was flying on a dragon and nuking people? No, I don't, I don't think I want to include that. <laughs> it's like, hey, thanks for healing my fever. And it's like, you majestic fireball slinging dragon riding murderous. Anton's oh like, my oh, oh my good holy man. What Ant role did you play in this glorious battle? Oh, Anson is legit like science. He can find cures for diseases, but at the same time, he can basically do like bombs and shit to destroy. He's like the good and bad of science. Oh, that's oh my god, it's just like Barbenheimer. Um, anyway. <laughs> <laughs> well, we're gonna get sued by like seven different movie studios. Oh, damn it. I like thinking that Anton's just the ginger himbo and he just happens to know how to nuke people too. Anyway, uh, ginger himbo society. Gin gingbo? Gingbo. That's... Anyway. Well. <laughs> oh, yeah. Um, I Okay. Let's not get that excited about it. It is still Santa Claus. Um, <laughs> <laughs> but, um, okay. And with that, he sort of gives you a very kind goodbye um, and hands over a little little medallion to you. And he says... I keep this as good luck, but it seems like well, it hasn't given me much of that. And he hands it over, and it's a tooth about the size of your thumb tip down to the sort of the middle point of the meteor part of your hand. Um, a good, like, three inches or so, but it's a stout tooth. And he says, I got this from a gator. A really, really big one. But I always thought it was good luck. He bit me, and what he left behind was just a tooth. Didn't take my leg or anything. But, mm. in any case, perhaps, perhaps it'll bring you some sort of luck, or maybe it's something just to remember our wonderful town by. Thank you. And Anton finds a little pouch to put it in with the beans. Make sure you don't plant the gator instead of one of the beans when we need it. Let's hope so. <laughs> and when that the man says again before you leave, are you if you don't mind me asking, are you on a pilgrimage? No. I'm we're looking for someone important who is missing. He just sort of nods and doesn't really seem to understand what you're talking about, but he says, I just sort of assumed based on the fact that you were a holy man of sorts that you must be on your way to Calqui. I apologize for assuming, but if you do have the time, I think a holy man like yourself might benefit from seeing such a place. I've only seen it once with my own eyes, but it sure is humbling. It makes you think a lot about time, the cosmos, and where we fit into things around here. But, either way, I do wish you some good rest. Thank you. Can you make oh, sure everyone leaves? That was it. Oh, okay. And so with that, um, Anton walks back to the tavern, where it seems the rest of the party have stayed up waiting for him to return. Uh, very rudely about two and a half hours later, mind you. So Anton returns, seemingly exhausted. The uh, innkeeper approaches, uh, rifle in his hands around, uh, looking very impatient and very stressed, and he says, Did you... Were you able to... I... Um... Are they okay? Their fevers... I have cured them of their fevers, but... They must rest and regain the strength they've lost. I recommend something be done when they travel into the marsh. It seems something there makes them sick, be it an insect or something in the water. If they keep going out there with no protection, what I've done really won't matter much. And with that, he seems to have heard the part he wanted to hear. 
and he smiles before running back behind the bar and grabbing a bottle of something that appears to be rather amber-colored, and as he cracks open the cork on it, he uh, presents it to the party, and he says, Perhaps we should celebrate. You've done a great duty to us here in this town, and I, you have our thanks. Would you like some drinks on me? Huh? Sure, Clinka will take a drink. Norhill won't deny a gift. And so, as he uh, goes to prepare it, uh, pouring out some little glasses, little shooters of this very strong alcohol, he says, oh, well, hold on. I think it's only fair that if I'm thanking you for a duty to Greymarsh, I offer you Greymarsh's own famous beverage. And with that, he grabs another little thing of all that briny, very pungent water, and he presents it to you in a makeshift little pickleback kind of way, and he says... You know, first you drink this, then you drink that, then you ask the barkeep if you can drink something else. And he starts laughing a very heartily belly laugh. Uh, but yeah, he presents all all uh, eight of the glasses to the party. Uh, sorry, ten, Ashma included. With that, he grabs his own and he lifts one up and he says, to good health and to safe for tomorrow. Here, here. Oh, okay. Very good. And he just knocks it back, seemingly uh, taking the own edge off, celebrating his own lack of uh, stress that he now has. The drink is very much so hard to, to hard to stomach. Uh, Jarzak's probably never tasted anything better, but the rest of you all, it's a it's definitely one of those drinks that puts hair on your chest, which is strange for Klika because all the hair is on her monkey feet. But Uh-oh. yeah, <laughs> so with that, the uh, party are free to go off to bed after some very well-earned things. Did anybody wanted to do anything before we cut to tomorrow? Mm, I think I'm good. Okay. I'm all set. So morning, morning comes and a group of guards uh, wait for you all downstairs in the tavern upon morning light. As you guys all come down, the innkeeper gives you a bit of a frowning expression as you, uh, come down the stairs and he says I apologize that I have to do this but Elaine can't be reasoned with and for some reason she is still very much so of the opinion that your friend there and points over to Jarzak has done something very ill to the town I explained to her you helped out with the sick and you are nothing but gracious and good people to deal with but she cannot be reasoned with so, I'm afraid we are asking you to leave. Do you think it would uh, help set her spirits at ease if I said that our plan was to leave this morning anyway? <laughs> well, that, he says, I don't think she's of sound mind to hear anything other than what she wants to hear right now. Perhaps when you've left and all of this dies down a bit, Maybe she'll be more appreciative, but I think right now, less is more. Well, that, that's good. I definitely wasn't expecting you to just ask us to leave. I figured you were about to see what happened to those 50 knolls. But we'll head out of here. Wait, what? <laughs> I figured the guys were coming to grab us. I was not about to have that happen. <laughs> Well, unfortunately, the party are escorted out of the tavern, and as people seem to yell their thanks to you, as the party are escorted out of the town and heading towards the gate, one man seemingly from the crowd above the rest of them uh, catches Anton's attention, as it seems to be the man from the hospital bed there, and he seems to be waving to you as you're leaving, offering you a very kind expression. Party, leave. Gray Marsh, and continue on the road headed south. I suppose we have a bit of a decision to make. In the next leg of our travel, uh, the party are going to have the option of either stopping in Shockley or just continuing on past it and heading on their way to Calqui. It doesn't seem like they're going to save that much time if they stop in Shockley, maybe only a couple hours of travel. 
Um, and it seems like the kind of place that the party will be able to get some rest when they stop by. Choice is yours. Well, I think that we should stop and pay our respects to Lord Helgara. I mean, his brother was a pretty okay guy. How bad could he be? Yeah, yeah I say we stop there. Jarzak pats the hilt of his plate. <laughs> Very well. Jarzak, if so we show with... up and someone is screaming, or if the leader of this town starts screaming that you are a bad man and you aren't allowed to be here, we, we're going to have to talk. Like a... No, you're going to have to figure that out. That's just magic I don't know about then. That's on you. So, as the party continue down the uh, sort of spongy, waterlogged road here, uh, the very unfortunate becomes tragic. As the party see, um, heading farther into the marshes down here, uh, that gray clouds overhead relay the information of some heavy rain coming your way. Um, what would the party like to do? As it seems like there's going to be quite a lot of heavy downpour. Is there any way we could find like high ground to just camp? Out here in the wetlands? No. Geographically no. speaking, this is probably the lowest um, topographical area in the Southlands. It's pretty much one big giant like ditch into the ocean um, with a couple of rivers sort of framing it. Uh, Northhill's going to look to Ashma and ask, how likely is a storm like that to just blow over? And with that, she says, it's not too likely, as we're not right next to the coast, but it is coming from the coast towards us. So, and she closes her eyes and seems to focus intently for a moment. She says, I have a feeling it won't be long. We should be able to weather the storm just fine. As long as you don't all mind some thunder, some lightning. Hmm. With thunder and lightning, perhaps we should find some shelter. And she just sort of shrugs at that comment. So, um, in that case, as the party continue on this road for about half a day, the rain does come in, and you can hear the thunder rumbling in the distance. Using a pretty simple measurement of counting the time between the flash of lightning and the stroke of the thunder there. Uh, the party can tell that they've got a couple of, uh, like about an hour before the party are able to, uh, before the party are really stuck in a dangerous situation. At this point, the party can tell that the rain's not letting up and being out here in what appears to be very, flat lands it, it's almost as if like there's no trees in sight it's like the plains but it's just so boggy and wet and like deep water that the road itself seems to disappear at times ashma seems to be rather at home and at peace in this water and in this rain but she herself asks if you guys would like to uh i don't want to say this she asks if you guys would like to stop and set up tents, but she says that the ground will be lousy, and there's not much of a chance that you guys would be able to uh, weather the storm comfortably. She instead comes to a halt on her horse uh, and turns to the party and says, as she takes sort of like a confrontational tone, she says, I think it's fair now that we discuss something important. And with that, a couple claps of thunder and some flashes of lightning in the distance seem to eerily illuminate the conversation. She says, I'm going to be honest about a couple of things, and I want to know that you are all okay with this. I totally understand if you guys would like to part ways at this point, but I offer you only gifts if you accept me for who I am and what it is that I've done. Well, we've accepted a lot of different people, so let's hear it. You have my word that I shall judge you fairly. She says, because I've heard about you cracking people's hand. No, I'm just kidding. But um, <laughs> she says, I am not like the others. And she looks over at Kleeka and she says, I feel something of a kindred spirit with you. I cannot help but feel like in some strange way our stars are aligned. And I feel some sort of kinship to you, Klika. And she says, but 
I think, above all other things, you and I are similar in that our blood is not of this world. Were your parents dragons, too? She looks so weirdly dumbfounded by this comment, but doesn't seem to be that surprised after seeing everything you've done up to this point. And she says, no, but I think what you'll find if you stay in Calqui, there are many like us. Our closeness with the gods, it, it changes people. And there are many people with blood seemingly tainted. We are not always welcomed where we travel, and a lot of us have to hide our gifts. And some of us are seen to be blasphemous for having such, well, blood in our veins. She looks down at her hands and she says, for some reason or another, I can tell storms are coming. With my ire, I can erupt jets of lightning from my hands. It's apparently not as impressive as some of the magic I've seen you all throw around, but for a long time, I'd never met anybody who would understand what I'm capable of. And as she looks up at the rain above, she says, and for that reason, I suppose you all accept me for who I am. And she holds her arms out wide stretched and closes her eyes, and the rain around you begins to loosen and lessen, and it seems like the heavy downpour becomes nothing more than a light spritz as the rain around you and sort of a, a whole circle around where you guys are all standing seems to die down, um, leaving sort of a, a veil around you of very, very like grayed out falling rain. Um, she says, if it is as you wish, I can continue to shield us from the rain, but I needed to be sure that none of you would judge me for who I am. But sometimes it is not the tragedy of my birth that some people judge me by. It's instead what I have escaped. She says, I, in my previous life in Calqui, I was a thief, a charlatan, and I did much work with some very vile individuals. But it is the murders that I had committed that have gotten me to where I am today. I am not welcome in many places because of what I've done. But I suppose I've seen a lot of bloodshed among your, your own, and after seeing how you handled those bandits, it would seem we can all agree that at times, the best decision to make is the swift one. Some people can't be changed. I believe I can change. I believe I have. But I suppose now the question I have for you is, will you accept me as I am? You plan to murder us. What'd you say? You plan to murder us. And with that, she sort of snickers a little bit, and she says, that wouldn't be very good for me getting paid, but I never, it never crossed my mind. I've only killed those who, well, that's not important. What's important is that you can trust me, and I'm not killing anybody unless they are truly an enemy of all of ours. Wait, so, you, so... go ahead. So you could have stopped the rain from getting to us this whole time. He says, to be honest, I suppose that was my test for all of you. I feel like the rain is an interesting thing. Out here in the wetlands, you hate the water. It brings disease and pain and problems. But when you're in Calqui, there's not a drop to be found. All you pray for is the kind of rain that you feel right now. I suppose it's interesting to see how you all handle poverty and abundance. To be in a place like Grey Marsh and offer your gifts for free, paying exorbitant prices for even filthy pond water to drink. She says, but perhaps that is a sign of good character. Uh, so I lore question, I guess. What's the, like the generalized attitude towards sorcery? in the north of Amaroth. 
Run Amroth. I mean, it's like Klika. Like most people just mistake her for a wizard or a caster of some sort. It's just such a rarity that most people don't come across them. And anybody who can actually cast spells ends up being something like, you know, an important character anyway. So the chances of somebody being a sorcerer who amounts to nothing are pretty slim, but they're so infrequent to be found that, again, Klika's kind of unique in her own right. But in the Southlands, it's hard to say anybody's ever heard of this. And this is sort of one of those, like, I guess, cultural kind of like superstition kind of things. So nobody would really know unless you've spent time in Calqui that this is sort of a thing at all, you know? All right. Uh, Nor Norhill will just say, I'm not sure that I understand what you mean by, you know, the curse of your birth. But I suppose such things are known to happen. Uh, my people have never put much faith in arcane powers. What concerns me more is that you admit to doing murder. And she says... It's, it's not the curse of your blood that gives me pause. It's what you claim to have done. And so with that, she says, perhaps this is nothing but illuminating the differences in our culture. I understand if this changes how you view me and our relationship, but where I come from, I would be imprisoned for murder. I would be killed for my blood. I hope you understand that I had my own reasons for killing, and I didn't do any of it lightly. Without knowing more about your circumstances, I, do, I must say that there is a difference between killing and murder. So I shall hold off continue to allow you to provide your services a guide and hold back the ring. That is very helpful. She gives sort of a pained expression as it seems like she wants to be very honest about something as she sort of says, when I said I've murdered, I meant that I've murdered people. Sure, they all were killed, just like we killed the bandits. But I have murdered people before. I think we should know why. And with that, she says, again, if you'd like to know why, I can tell you. But you might not like the answer that you hear. And I would hate for that to ruin our business relationship or our friendship if such a thing was to happen. My concern is we do something beyond our knowledge that could prompt you to murder us. I love how everybody in the party is just like, yeah, right. Loomis Lightning Bolt's going to murder us. Anyway, um, but with that, she says, unfortunately, I used to work with some very dangerous types. And we made a lot of money through murdering very important people, extorting blackmail, one could say that I'm very well acquainted with the undercurrents of Calqui. Some would claim three princes, others would claim seven. I claim seven princes of Calqui. Tai Halon. It's. Well, never mind. The point is. I'm not going to be able to fulfill the entirety of our job. When you reach Calqui, I will need to leave again. If I am recognized and seen in the city, I will be murdered. Perhaps it is justified. Well, where are you going to go then? I will return to Shakli, perhaps Greymarsh, but Taihalon is long gone. My own family disowned me a long time ago, so I don't really have anybody there to return to. Suppose that's why I felt so comfortable amongst all of you. Hearing that you are willing to get rid of those gnolls and help people you didn't even know. I guess I really enjoyed the idea of, well, your charity, your kindness, and the warmth that you were all offering. Perhaps I felt like my salvation was coming. But maybe I just sound like one of those, well, one of those priests on the street in Calqui. Not everything is a metaphor, and I suppose some things are merely black and white. 
So judge me as you need to. I can be on my way if need be. But yes. Well, well I mean, Klika. Klika doesn't think that your blood is what defines you or should ever be something you're ashamed of or that people hold against you. And Klika also saw how worried you were for the refugees outside of Fort Riverwind and you were willing to stand against those bandits. So Klika doesn't think you're anyone Klika has to be afraid of. And Klika's happy to travel with you for as long as you're able. Is that part of Klika trusting people when she shouldn't? Yeah. Uh, sure. will say among my people the judgment for your crimes would have been you'd be stripped of your name shaved and exiled in disgrace. It seems that two-thirds of these things have already happened and you already wear your face bare. She seems mildly offended by that statement, but she shrugs it off as a strange dwarfism. However, I would encourage you to perhaps face the consequences of your actions. Maybe they're not so bad as you have geared yourself up to fear. Can you roll me a persuasion check on that? I can roll a 13. So that she sort of nods her head and she says, perhaps I do seek justice, but I guess, well, she looks over at Jarzak and then she looks back at the rest of the party for a moment. And she says, my hands aren't clean and maybe it's true that I deserve some of the justice for what I've done in my life. But I just don't want to be afraid anymore. Or that she looks down before looking back to the road and she says, I suppose if nobody has any issues with me continuing with you, we can continue to Shockley. Indeed, we have spent enough time here already. And so, uh, very quiet for the next few hours, the party continue on their way uh, south before stopping and making camp on the highest body of uh, grass that you guys can get to. Um, but the ground is so soaked and it is so wet and the rain seems to uh, not have stopped just yet. Um, but in the dead of night, as the uh, party are sleeping, uh, the rain seems to cease. But the morning is gray and foggy and very, very wet. The party can hear the sounds of all the wet little critters out there in the bog, just sort of making their merriment in the gift of rainwater. Um, but as the party spend the next day traveling, uh, by about midday, you guys can see the various villages uh, and little hamlets and thorps sort of dotting the horizon leading up to the massively walled city or yeah city there of uh, Shockley but as the party are making their way in you guys can see that all the farmers and the yeomen out here uh, seem to be doing pretty well for themselves to keep themselves dry wearing interesting and large headgear and parasol uh, keeping out of the water here tending to their farms and their creatures i mean the little critters there but yeah nobody seems to extend any sort of a warm gesture and i suppose the most interesting point that you guys notice is passing by all these little settlements uh it seems like every once in a while you pass by a human one and every once in a while you pass by a hobgoblin one um though the people change it doesn't seem like their way of life changes much at all so i suppose as we march up to the main gates here of uh shock lee Ashma mentions to you guys that she doesn't like to stop at a place like this and says that Shock Lee is the kind of place that she stops in if she absolutely has to. But she says the people here are not exactly the most welcoming and says that this is a place that does not believe in the sorts of things that soften a soul or a person. And you would like to all be of your best behavior while in this place. Thankfully, we bring letters of introduction. Well, that she sort of nods, recalling your interesting little meeting there with Tagora. Um, but with that, the uh, party walk up to the main gates, and standing atop the parapets are a pair of hobgoblins on either side, trained with crossbows at the ready, 
and spearmen down below at the gate. As the spearmen approach, they say, Who are you and what is your business here in Shockley? I am Norhill of Clan Hammerstone. My friends and I... Uh, my friends and I would take rest in your lovely city. With that, they sort of sniff at the air and look you guys all over, up and down, and they say, Have you trained warriors among you? I, I am a soldier of the halls. And with that, they sort of nod amongst themselves, looking at the weapons on everybody's side, and they say, as they sort of seem to take mental note, You may enter. And with that, the gates open up, and before you, you see the sprawling city of beautiful, beautiful alabaster buildings, as well as dark, dark forest greens, red trimmings, and bright yellows. Um, the city sprawling before you seems to descend down to the sea, where you guys can see, uh, sorry, to the ocean, rather, uh, where you guys can see plenty of boats seemingly coming to and fro into the port, as well as a regal, massive palace seated upon the highest point out here, looking over everything. Uh, the sounds of clanging metal on armor and blades uh, gives you guys the belief that you are certainly in something of a military-styled city, as you see dozens of soldiers in formation practicing strikes in unison, and various other soldiers practicing in sparring groups, uh, sorry, sparring groups uh, on the side. Uh, it definitely seems like this place wears its militocratic sense on its on its sleeve here. And as you guys come wandering in, you can see that everybody has with them a sense of duty and seems to be walking, parading in a certain direction as if they all have somewhere very important to be and they have no time to sit around and to dilly-dally. As the party now have an opportunity to figure out what it is they'd like to do in Shock Lee, I think that's where we're going to end it. Hey everyone, I want to thank you all for listening to another episode of the podcast. It really means a lot to me to have everybody listening in. And if you have anything you'd like to say, any comments or anything like that, shoot me a tweet over at YGrognard on Twitter. Or you can even send me an email at younggrognard at gmail.com. I look forward to everything you guys have to say, and it's always a pleasure to engage with anybody listening to the show. And as always, be sure to keep things... Dungeons. Dungeons.